Hey, uh, I'm really excited for this morning. We're starting a new series, and over the next few months, we're going to be uh, working our way through the book of Ephesians. And um, this is one of my favorite books in the Bible because it really, I think, teaches us and it gives us a picture of what it looks like to live life fully alive. I um, One of my favorite things as a, as a pastor to do, one of the greatest honors that um, I have and I get is... To marry people, uh, to officiate weddings. I love it because it's this picture of really God's work in this couple's life, in their lives individually leading up to a certain point, and it's their uh, start of a new life together. It's this beautiful picture of the gospel and God's mysterious love for us. And so I, it's an honor for me to stand up in front of these this couple, these couples that I've had the chance to marry, and to. Uh, enter with them, to, to allow them to enter into this covenant together uh, for life. There's nothing better. I was uh, doing a wedding in San Diego uh, shortly before I left. And it was an outside wedding, and we had had um, a night before where we did the rehearsal, and it was a great time together. Um, and this one of the groomsmen had had to go to work right after the rehearsal dinner. And so he went right to work, and he worked all night, and he got up, or didn't go to bed, and he came that next morning to uh, the wedding. The wedding was in the afternoon, but all the wedding party had to get there early. And this gentleman was standing there outside, and he um, had had a few drinks sitting on the little uh, patio beforehand, and he locked his legs and right as I got to the point, I had led them through uh, the vows, the exchanging of rings. And it's this very spiritual sort of climactic point of, and, and now I get to announce to you. And as I said that, this guy, like a tree in the forest, <laughs> just dropped and boom, and he hit the ground. And all three of us, the, the bride and the groom and me, all went immediately over to the side. And he's lying on the ground on his back. Now, within seconds, a guy who happened to be in our ministry is up. It's almost before he, it seemed like it was before he hit the ground. And he is running down the aisle and he says, I'm an EMT. And, I, and, and as a pastor, I'm standing there going, what in the world is going on? And so before I know it, he's up there doing a little sternal noogie, trying to get him to wake up. And he gets pushed out of the way by a few older men who came up and said, hey, we're, we're doctors. We can handle it from here. Turned out they were dentists. So, so unless the guy needed a root canal, not going to help out a whole lot. But no offense if you're a dentist. See, hey, here's what they did. They, they got him to and they propped him up. And I'm thinking, drag him off. Drag him off. Like, like grass stains on the tuxedo doesn't matter. Just get him out of here. Right? Like we just, man and wife, that's all I need to say. So this is over. Now, here's what they did. They grabbed a seat from the front row and they bring it up and they put it in the front and they prop him up on the chair in front of everybody. And I'm going, yeah, that's going to look great for the pictures. He's just... And so I finish the ceremony, and he's just, he's lifelessly sitting there. I finish the ceremony, and, you know, I, I say, I'm pleased to be the first person to announce to you. And everybody cheers, and we start the recessional, and they walk out. Everybody's cheering. Everyone's excited. The, the maid of honor and the best man, they stand up. They meet in the middle. They walk out. And then this gentleman, 
propped up in front, thinks to himself, redemption is mine. And he says, I'm going to walk the aisle. And he gets up out of his chair, thinking glory is his. And he walks and he stands in front of me. And before he's able to get the arm of the girl he's going to, I see his knees start to do this deal. And that is when this picture was snapped. Where I grabbed him. I grabbed him around the shoulders. And you can't tell, but that is a brick path there. And he was going head first into it. I grabbed him and I, like Superman in a nice suit, lowered him safely down. And I said to everybody, all right, this is over. You can get out of here now. What? And I thought to myself, here, here, here's, as I, as I lead into this book of Ephesians, you're going, Ryan, what in the world does that have to do? Just stick with me for a second. I started to think, I wonder how many of us, we, we live life where we're technically alive, where we exist, but we're really not living. We're really not living. Where, where if you were to take sort of a snapshot of our life, Our life would look a lot more like said groomsman sitting on the chair, technically conscious, but really not living. And I think to a person, to a person in here this morning, to a person in here in our world, we have this sense, this deep abiding, longing, nagging sense that we have to have been created for more. We have to have been created for more that that just going through the motions of life and getting up Monday and sort of hitting the restart button on the week and longing for Friday and living every day, desiring that day to come in between that we have this sneaking suspicion that God must have created us for more than we're living. And I want to tell you, he has, he has. You know, that God's design for each one of us and, and throughout the book of Ephesians, this is what we're going to come back to. And this is we're going to, what we're going to point back to that God's design. Oops, I don't have it in there for each one of us. If you're following along in your little bulletin for each one of us is to live, not just exist. God's design for you is to live, not just exist. That, that God did not save you. He did not redeem you. He did not call you in order to prop you up in a chair and have you technically be alive. He designed you to live. He designed you to drink deeply of the life that he's given you. He designed you in order that you might wake up and say to him, Jesus, every day, thank you for your abundant mercy and your abundant grace and for that to get in you in a way that stirs you to where you live differently. Now, you might be asking yourself, Ryan, how does that actually happen or what does that look like or how does that work? I'm glad you asked that question because the book of Ephesians actually is going to lay out for us this beautiful invitation to life abundant. You see, Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, that the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. And my conviction is, is that the book of Ephesians is really going to lead us down a path that invites us into life. And so many of us settle for a thief who comes to steal and kill and destroy. When Jesus all along is saying, will you trust me? 
Will you walk with me? Will you believe me? And will you live this out in order that you might walk in the fullness of joy that I designed you to walk in? The book of Ephesians, just by way of a little bit of background, is laid out. You can sort of break it in half. The first three chapters are primarily doctrinal. They lay out a a theology that really needs to grab us, that needs to sink in our hearts. There's these truths, these propositions that we need to believe in order to walk in fullness and wholeness of life. And then the second half of the book, as, as most epistles are set up, the second half of the book really explains in light of what's true about you and about what God has done for you, live in this way. Live in this way. In light of the calling that you've received, live in this way. And here's my thesis throughout the course of this book and why we've built our, our series around this theme of fully alive is that if we're able to live If we're able to believe what God has said is true about us, if we're able to believe what he says is true about us, and we're able to live in the way that he invites us to live, the result is that we feel like an infusion dripping into our veins that we're invited into a life that he designed us to live in. And as I've thought through this series and as I've prayed through this book, My hope for you is that God might say to you, you're not just designed to be propped up in the chair. Walk with me. Walk with me. You're designed for fullness of life. The book of Ephesians is written to the churches at Ephesus, and Ephesus was an interesting place. Um, On a map, here it is. It's sort of north of the Mediterranean Sea, and it was a happening place in the ancient world. As you can see, it's sort of a port city. And so what that meant was that Ephesus was fairly rich. There was a lot of money that moved in and out of Ephesus. There was a lot of people that moved in and out of Ephesus. There was also a lot of ideas that moved in and out of Ephesus because it was a port city. And so pluralism is rampant in in Ephesus. Meaning that people have different beliefs that come from different areas and they say, I believe this about God or I don't believe this about God. And paganism is really the main belief in Ephesus, idol worship. And if you read through Acts chapter 19, you start to get this picture of what Paul encountered when he first came to Ephesus. Ephesus was the center of the worship of this goddess named Artemis, And they had this beautiful temple there. One of the seven wonders of the ancient world was located in Ephesus. And many people would go there to worship this quote-unquote deity. Paul spent two and a half years in Ephesus. Longer than he spent anywhere else on his missionary journeys. This is the church that he started. This is the church that he loved. These are people who are close to his heart. And as he writes them this letter, you can almost sense his emotion for the people stirring as he just longs for them to be the church. As he longs for them to be the church that God designed them to be. As he longs for them to be a people who believe things that are true about them rather than things that are false. And you can almost picture him. He's writing this from a Roman jail. And you can almost picture him as he's writing, just like flames blowing up off of his pen as he gets so excited about what he gets to share. Because here's what Paul knows. He knows if his people are willing to believe what he writes and willing to believe what's true about them, then lives that have been just propped up and technically alive will begin to really live. 
that people who have gone through the motions and existed will become fully alive. And you can almost sense his passion and his excitement about what might happen in these people as the gospel gets inside of them. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 1, reads like this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. And we could, here's the deal. We could take a time out after every little phrase. The salutation here, we could probably spend weeks diving into. I'm going to spare you that. We're not going to go there. It's going to be a long series. Not that long. It says this, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. I love it that Paul starts out and he reminds the church ever so subtly at the very beginning of his letter, you are saints. He doesn't say to you wretched sinners at Ephesus, to you people still battling and still struggling in Ephesus, to you people who just seem to not be able to quite get it all together at Ephesus. No, 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 no. He starts off by reminding the church at Ephesus of who they really are. He says to the saints... People redeemed by the blood of Jesus. People sitting under the grace and mercy of God. Friends, what you believe to be true about yourself will determine the way that you live. And if you keep reminding yourself that all you are is a sinner, you will live that out. But if you remind yourself And you speak truth to yourself. I'm a saint. I'm a saint. You may just start to live that out too. He says, grace and peace to you. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Now, big picture, here's what Paul's going to do. He's going to start to lay out some propositions, some truths, some things that you and I have to believe on a heart level, on a soul level, on a conviction level in order to live lives that are fully alive, to move from existing to really living. He's going to lay out some things. You've got to be gripped by these. If we're not, then there's no way that we have to stand up out of that chair and actually live. That we're going to be technically alive, but not really living. And the first thing he says is this. Is that to be fully alive, it begins with the belief that we were created to be the recipients of God's abundant blessing. Let me just just let that sit on you for just a second. Oh, because we, we sing about it. Come that fount of every blessing. We, we sing about it. We talk about it. God's been good. He's blessed. But the question I have for you this morning is, do you really believe it? Do you know it on a heart level? On a heart level. Here's what the, the Greek word for blessing or bless, is eulogia, which may sound like eulogy. It is. It's the same root word, 
which means, you know, at a memorial service when people will stand up and they will speak a good word about. It's literally, that's what that word eulogia means. It, it means to speak a good word over. And so here's the truth about you this morning. Here's the truth about me. If you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, the truth of the matter is God, the God of the universe, is speaking a good word over you today. Today. I mean, can somebody say amen about that? I mean, that's good. That's really good news. That's good news. That, that today he speaks a good word over you. Tomorrow he'll speak a good word over you. Yesterday he speaks a good word over you. And I'm pretty convinced that in a year, the verse is going to be true also. And he's going to be speaking a good word over you then too. That's great news. That's great news, friends. Because here's the deal. Here's what I know about me. And here's what I know about you. There's a lot of other voices in our head that remind us of ways that we've messed up and things that we've done. That, that remind us we don't deserve that. We don't deserve that. We haven't earned that God would speak a good word over us. We haven't earned that he would bless us. And so we have these things that pop up in our mind. We have these things that pop up in our heart that remind us what we deserve. And those are the things that we start to believe are true about us. And so we carry things like guilt and we carry things like Shame and what the word of God says to you this morning, no matter how you walked in these doors, if you are under the blood of Jesus Christ, he's speaking a good word over you. Okay, okay, here's the deal too. He's blessed you. He's spoken a good word over you with every spiritual blessing. God is not a God who plays hard to get. He's not a God who parcels out his blessing. He's not a God who just showers it down. He's a God who takes you and throws you in the deep end right away and says, all of it's yours. All of it's yours. Every spiritual blessing. So, so here's the truth of the matter. One day... You will stand before the throne of God. And if you're under the blood of Christ, you will hear. You're perfect. You're holy. You're invited in. Welcome to the party. Or something like that. <laughs> God will not speak any better of a word over you then or throughout all of eternity than he's speaking over you right now. I mean, if he's speaking every spiritual blessing over you right now, today, then there's nothing left for him to say to you that's better. There's nothing left for him to say to you that's better. He has tossed you in the deep end and he has said everything he possibly can. I love this verse. I love this verse. I do, in the, in the book of Zephaniah that says that the Lord God, he's, his arm is not too short to save, and he rejoices over you with singing. 
He speaks a good word over you. We sing songs sometimes that have refrains like, God, I want more of you. As I read this, I start to think, you know, I think we have a lot of him. I think we have maybe more than we can handle. And maybe a better prayer, maybe a better song is, God, open the eyes of my heart that I might know the hope to which I've been called. Not I just want more, but open my eyes to what I already have and who I already am. I love this verse, and I know that this is here because I saw it. It says, you have been given fullness in Christ. How much? Fullness. Completeness. You've been completed in him. Who's the head of every power and authority? Oh, man. That may just be enough for us to close in prayer right there. Say, God, you're good. Thank you. All right, we'll see you next Sunday. We have more, though. Don't so the blessing that God gives, it's, it's spiritual in nature. It comes through the Holy Spirit. It's grounded in Christ alone. See, he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So every good thing that we have comes on the basis of what Christ has done and is given to us through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I mean, now he's going to just explode. Verses 3 through 14 in the Greek are one sentence. You can almost picture Paul just going, okay, okay, I got to remember, got to get it, got to get it. He's excited, he's passionate, and he says, I can't wait for this church, for this church, Ephesus, and this church, South, to get this. And it's almost like I have this picture of Ephesians 1, and I don't know why I have this, this is stupid, but I have this picture in my head. Of, of Paul just walking up to like a pinata at a kid's birthday party and taking the bat and just going, boom! And it just blasts praise everywhere. I mean, it's just everywhere. And he can't contain himself. Look at the way that this continues. It says this. For he... So not only has he blessed us with every spiritual blessing, we were created, we were designed to receive his good word. He says, for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Here's a second truth that we need to, if we're going to be people who, who really fully embrace the life that God has invited us to live, we need to be convinced that we were chosen by God that we were chosen by God and that we thereby stand blameless before him. This is the salvific or sort of judiciary aspect of what God's done for us. But here's the deal, friends. He chose you. He chose you. Now, let's just take a quick time out because I know that that word carries with it some baggage carries with it some a little bit of angst. It carries with it oh, a few thousand years of war. Chosen. The, the word predestined that's going to be in verse 5 in love. He predestined us to be adopted as sons. Um, let me just tell you. In the Greek, here's what the word predestined really means. Ready for this? 
It means predestined. <laughs> In the Greek, here's what the word chosen means. It means chosen. It means chosen. I can remember as a young college student, I'd gone through um, this training with Young Life, and they had this sort of theology day for our student staff, and um, and one of the teachings was on election and predestination, and I wrestled with that. And it may be hard for you to believe, but I was a pretty fiery college student. And, uh, and so I was up most of the night and a few nights in a row just saying, God, is this really who you are? Do you choose some and not others? God, what, what's the deal with this? And I can remember vividly helping with an outreach. And we had this sign that said, Jesus Christ for every kid in northern Colorado. And I went up to my area director and I said, what you taught is true on Saturday. You better change your sign. And he's like, what do you mean? And I said, it should read for every predestined kid in Colorado. That's what it should read. And we didn't have the same relationship after that. Um, but here's what, here's what I've, as I've studied scripture, as I've wrestled with this, as I've dove deeper and deeper into it, Here's what I'm convinced of is that that is absolutely 100% true, that God does choose, that God does predestine. It's what our Bible very clearly says. And yet we're invited into this beautiful mystery, this beautiful mystery, that God, that while God chooses, he also says to us, choose. Who are you going to follow today? We have scriptures that say that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that he loved us enough to give his very son. And then later on in the same book, in John chapter 44, it says that, that only the people who God draws are going to come. We have passages in Acts, like Acts chapter 13, verse 48, when Luke records that when the Gentiles heard this, the gospel, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And it says this right after, and as many who had been appointed to eternal life believed. Sort of tough. In the same hand, we have passages, many of them, one of them being in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, that says, who God desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Here's the deal. There's some tension here. And my goal, my goal as your pastor, will never be to just resolve the tension and to give you a nice, clearly packaged answer that's systematized, that we can just defend with sort of proof-texted scripture. My goal as your pastor is to teach the whole counsel of God to you and invite you to live in a tension that we don't necessarily know the answer to. That yes, we are chosen, and yes, God does choose, and yes, we are held responsible, and yes, we do choose, and those two things, for our minds, don't seem to fit together. Is it possible that God is smarter than us? <laughs> I love the way, I love the way that Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, said it. When someone asked him, please, you know, Charles, help us resolve this tension between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. And he said with his great British wit, I do not make it my job to reconcile friends. And his point was that like gears working in an opposite direction, they work towards the same goal. Here's what I found though. 
here's what I found. I think I short circuit what God wants to do in my heart and in my life when I read this passage and think about somebody else. So if I read this passage that says, for God chose us in him, and I go, well, what about so-and-so, instead of reflecting on the fact that this is true about me, instead of letting it sink in that he chose me, You see, if I just think about somebody else and I just have questions and I just, I miss what God wants to do in exploding this passage in my life and saying, before the creation of the world, before the foundation of the world, that means before God spoke the stars in the sky, the sky, before he called the birds out, before he made the trees, before he made the ocean, before he made any of it, he called me holy. He called me holy. Okay, so so that not only means that he called me holy, but I was a thought in his mind before the world was ever created. See, see, you may have been an accident for your parents. You were not an accident to God. You were not an accident to God. He's had a plan for you. He has a plan for you. He's marked you holy. He's spoken blessing over your life. And see, this has caused a lot of of chaos. It's caused a lot of wars. For Paul, it only causes praise. It causes praise. For him to just sit in the reality, to sit in the fact that the same God who speaks out the stars every night speaks blessing over you and says, Ryan Edwin Paulson, I call you my own. Wow. Wow. And you see the Ephesian people who were caught up in paganism and, and astrology, they thought that their lives were determined by the position of the stars on the day that they were born. That's the word that was spoken over their life. Based on that, this is exactly how your life is going to turn out. And so people lived in fear, people lived in disappointment, people lived with question, people lived with regret, and people lived paralyzed. And then the God of the universe comes and he says, there's a better word for you. No matter what the stars were like on the day you were born, the God who calls the stars out says, I choose you, I want you, and I love you. Man. And you see, here's the truth of the matter is that when that starts to get in us, it starts to allow us to get out of that chair that we may be propped up in, where we're existing, but we're not really alive. You see, when you believe that before the foundation of the world, God knew me, God loved me, God chose me, do I know why? No, because I know me. But it's true. To call me blameless love this. The book of Romans says there is therefore when? Now. There is therefore now no condemnation. Zero. Here's the truth about that verse. It's going to be true tomorrow too. Therefore now there's no condemnation. Because he chose us. Because he loved us. And you see, here's the deal. If that's our destiny, to stand before him holy, to stand before him righteous, 
doesn't it make sense that we would be a people who embrace starting that now? I think so. I think so. He goes on. And we're going to fly through these last few. It says, in love. See, that's his motivation. That's his motivation for all of this. God didn't need anything. God wasn't lacking in anything. God didn't have a void that you needed to fill. God is motivated. He's pressed forward by his unbelievable, gracious, passionate, life-giving love that he has for you. And this is what he does in response to because of his love. It says he predestined us. He determined beforehand to adopt us as his sons through Christ Jesus. Why? In accordance with his pleasure and will. Why? Because he wanted to. The truth of the matter is, friends, that you and I were orphaned spiritually and that God steps in and where there was no way, he makes a way to call us his children, to call us his own. And if we're going to be people who live in the abundant, full life that God gives us and invites us into, we need to experience the, the God's love and be adopted into his family. That's what you're made for. You were designed for it. See, back in, in the time that this book was written, adoption was similar to the way it is today, but most of the families that adopted back in this time would be very rich families that did not have a male heir or any heir, maybe. And so what they would do is that they would adopt somebody, they would pick somebody, they would bring them into their family, and they would shower blessing upon blessing upon blessing down on them. And kids back then who were adopted in the same way that they are today have complete, full, absolute rights, the same rights as natural born children. And God said, that's what I chose you for. To experience my love. To experience my blessing. I um, read about in, in the early 20th century, there's a lot of immigrants that were coming over to the States, and many of them on the way over would die. It was a treacherous trip. And so on the East Coast, there was a large population of orphans. And one of the things that they would do is that they would load these orphans onto trains, and they would take them all across the States, and they would have them... Here's one of the pictures. When they got to a town... They would have them just stand out in front of the train. And people from the town could come. And they could adopt them. They'd say, I want that one. And as I thought about that, I wondered, what might it have been like? To after you get out and, and your every hope and your every dream is caught up in just maybe, just maybe someone will pick me. Maybe someone will choose me. And then after they didn't, getting back on the train and wondering when the next stop was coming and praying that the next stop would come and hoping that somebody would change the course of their life, that somebody would say, I think you're worth it, that somebody would say, I pick you, I choose you, that somebody would say, there's a bright future ahead. I started to wonder, man, what might that have been? I read here that all of us were in that exact same boat. All of us were in desperate need without a hope in the world and that the God of the universe steps in 
and says, you are mine. Eternally. Forever. You see, there's great privileges of being adopted into the family. One, you know that he loves you. And if you've ever been a parent and you've held your child, you know that without a shadow of a doubt, you would do anything for that child. You'd give your very life for them to know that the God of the universe not only would, but did do the very same thing for us. Oh, unbelievable. Unbelievable. You know that he wants to know you. He doesn't just want to know about you. He wants to he wants to know you. He calls you his own and he invites you in and he wants intimacy with you. He doesn't just want you to read about him and gather facts and information. He wants to invite you in. He wants to shower abundance down on you. He gives you an inheritance. He wants you to live confidently and fearlessly in his love. Here's the deal. He wants you to know. Here, just listen to this really carefully. He wants you to know that he doesn't need you, but he's way better than that. He wants you. He wants you. He doesn't need anything from you. He wants to invite you to partake of the abundant blessing of the amazing love that he has for you. And so many of us have a different word that we speak to our minds and our hearts daily. And I just want to remind you this morning, the God of the universe has said, I want relationship, not just now, but forever with you. Now, here's the deal. Here's the truth about that. When that starts to turn in you, when that starts to get in you, it starts to add a little bit of life to your day. Because if that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what does. You may want to just have your neighbor check your pulse. Because the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the same God that spoke every star into space says, I want you, not just now, but for eternity. I want you. I love you. I've given you my Holy Spirit that it might pour out my love into your heart that you might know that you are a son or a daughter of the King this morning, tomorrow morning, next week when we get together, and for all of eternity, it is true and it will be true. It will be true. And man, friends, when it gets in us, it just starts to change us and wake us up just a little bit. I love the way that Jonathan Edwards said it when he said, the greatest sorrow and burden you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness you can do to him is to not believe that he loves you. I love the way that Paul ends this section here. Love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. That's the way he adopts. That's the method that he chooses through the blood, through the name, through the sacrifice and the perfection of Jesus. In accordance with his pleasure and will, he determined to do it. He was glad to do it. It was his choice to do it. To the praise of his glorious grace which he's freely given us in the one whom he loves.
So here's what Paul ends by saying, is that being fully alive begins when we believe that we were created to live a life that shouts of his glory and his grace. And you see, here's the truth. What other response can you think of? I mean, we were dead and he makes us alive. We are orphans and he adopts us. We have nothing and he gives us everything. We were hopeless and he lavished blessing down on us. We were imperfect and he made us perfect. We were wretched and he made us holy. We were sinners and he made us saints. And Paul goes, there's nothing else I can do except praise his glorious name because he is amazing and he is great. And it's his grace that reached down and took hold of my cold, dead heart and made it alive. And friends, he did not just make it alive to prop you up and to give you a pulse and to technically allow you to exist. He invited you to live. He invited you to live. And that's what this book is going to invite us into. And it starts with, because you will always live out what you believe to be true. And it starts with what you believe. You're blessed. He speaks a good word over you. You're holy. Blameless, spotless, pure, because he adopted you. Let's worship him and praise him with our lives like we really believe it. Let's live full abundant lives. Let's not just exist, but friends of South, let's truly live. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we